Did you know that the relationship between trade and peace has a long history? In 100 AD, Plutarch wrote that sea trade allowed one to cooperate and redress defects in their relationships through mutual exchange. More lessons from the past, today on Trade for Peace. Welcome to Trade for Peace, brought to you by the WTO's Trade for Peace program. I am Axel Addy, former chief negotiator of Liberia's accession to the WTO and founding member of the Trade for Peace program. Trade for Peace is a 30-minute podcast in conversation with Trade for Peace champions, the global policymakers, entrepreneurs, and innovators committed to promoting trade as a key ingredient for lasting peace. Join us in our bi-monthly podcast as we discuss how trade is contributing to sustainable peace in fragile and conflict-affected countries. Welcome to Trade for Peace. Welcome to Season 2, Episode 6 of Trade for Peace. What history teaches us? With our special guest, Alan Wolf. Alan is no stranger to the Trade for Peace family as the former Deputy Director General of the World Trade Organization. He was one of our first guests on our first episode of Trade for Peace. He spearheaded the Trade for Peace initiative. And I remember back in 2017 at the WTO Ministerial Conference in Buenos Aires, where Alan and I supported the launch of the G7 Plus WTO Accessions Group, a group of fragile and conflict-affected countries dedicated to using trade as the pathway to achieve peace and stability. The Trade for Peace program has come a long way and is one of the initiatives derived from the G7 Plus WTO Accessions Group. Alan, welcome back to Trade for Peace. Thank you very much, Axel. It's good to be back. Good to be on the program and good to see you as always. Good to see you and, and thank you for your continued support for the Trade for Peace program. So, Alan, I would like us to talk a little bit about your transition. It's been several months since you left Geneva uh, and transitioned back to Washington, D.C. So how has the transition been so far? I thank you. There is life after the WTO. I enjoyed my time at the WTO a great deal and a great group of people to work with. But I'm doing something now that I've wanted to do for some time, and that is write a guidebook to the WTO. It's something I wish I had had when I showed up there in Geneva, because even if you have responsibility for five divisions, as I did, uh, there are other areas of the WTO that I didn't have time to get into very much. And this has been a great opportunity to learn. One of the things I'm trying to do is introduce people, readers of the book, to what it's like to sit in on a meeting. Not all of them are as exciting as uh, others, but... uh, (laughs) Uh, For example, go to a TPR, a trade policy review. Listen to what a country says to defend its own trade policies, explain them to others, and the comments from others. And it's, I think, instructive. So um, I've enjoyed it. It's sort of a a you are there in parts of it. This is going to be a book put out next year, 2023. For me, it's been a a great learning experience. Yeah, I wish somebody like me who was achieving going in my first negotiations meeting and sort of prepping the preparation that's needed to go to some of those meetings. And, and you, you often taken aback as to the dialogue. And I remember one of the negotiators that was leading our SPS discussions being completely overwhelmed, <laughs> walking 
into that room and having all those ambassadors question some of what they consider were technical barriers to getting agriculture products into the Liberian market. And she turned to me and said, look, you know, I feel like I'm going back to school. I didn't realize that this was going to be everything about agriculture, about Liberia, and then I have to answer all these questions. So it is a bit overwhelming. I think a lot of ambassadors in Geneva will truly appreciate this guide, especially fragile and conflict-affected countries, or LDCs for the most part. A lot of the ambassadors are so far stretched in Geneva, you know, representing the country, whether it's with the health sector, with the trade sector, they're so stretched thin. And so having sort of a guidebook in terms of, you know, this is how you navigate the WTO and, and how you attend some of these meetings and how you prepare for delegations visits, I think would be quite useful. So congratulations. And I look forward to the final release of the book. Uh, thank you. Now, Alan, today we want to talk a little bit about trade for peace and the past. And I'm happy you're transitioning smoothly back into Washington and, and with the Peterson Institute. Uh, but we live in very difficult times. And one of the reasons why we're so excited that you're coming back on the podcast, because you've always been very brilliant in highlighting some of the historical lessons of trade for peace and how trade has been used to facilitate peace. With such a vast experience working both in the U.S. and the WTO, in your view, how has this interaction between trade and peace evolved over time? It's a fascinating subject because it's still very relevant today. But looking back at where did all this come from? The world went through in the middle of the last century a bloodbath that it had never seen the likes of before, two world wars, some 40 or 50 million people killed, and that's probably a low estimate. They decided they weren't going to make that mistake again. So they put together the multilateral trading system and, of course, the World Bank, the International Monetary Fund, to give peace more of a chance. And it's worked. 70 years of it. It's been very positive. And of course, in Europe, first we had the European coal and steel community to make countries much more, their economies much closer together. The original of the six, particularly France and Germany, and then the European common market. And when they expanded the common market, which is a big issue today, especially with Macron talking about the length of time it might take for Ukraine to get in, what a vice president of the commission, the European Commission, said was, we are expanding the European community to the east in order to bring peace in an increasingly large part of Europe. So it was very much on their minds that trade is very closely linked to peace. One of the high points of the WTO was in 1998, it was at the second ministerial meeting, they had a 50-year anniversary of the GATT, the General Agreement on Tariffs and Trade. And President Clinton spoke, Nelson Mandela spoke, and they talked about creating peace through a trade. So it was always very conscious. It's always been a work in progress, but the world would certainly not be a better place if, for example, Russia had been excluded or China had been excluded. It's important to have one inclusive international economy in order to build the prospects for peace. And Alan economist uh, Paul Krugman, in his article, Trade and Peace, The Great Illusion, makes the reference that while, you know, trade and peace, there are linkages between trade and peace. There's a strong link, but there's, it's not a guarantor of peace and that trade can be weaponized and authoritarians 
can use trade to exert behaviors against traditional practice and against global norms and violate the rights of their citizens. And they use their trade advantage to protect sort of behavior. And how would you respond to this argument? Well, I think Krugman is right, for example, that World War I was not prevented by the fact that the United Kingdom and Germany had a lot of trade with each other. Other things were going on that caused that war. The U.S. Civil War, as he points out, it took place, although there was an enormous amount of trade between the North and the South, and it was the war in which the United States lost the most lives of any war that the United States has been involved in. But it's worth the effort. During the Cold War, West Germany engaged in an amount of trade with East Germany in order to prepare for eventual reunification, eventually having one country again. South Korea has tried it with North Korea. It has not borne fruit yet, but the new president has talked about the opportunities for using economic engagement to avoid what could be military engagement. The United States used free trade agreements with Jordan and Israel to try to bring about greater harmony, better possibilities of peace in the Middle East. Japan is deeply integrated into East Asia after World War II aggression, now heavily involved in APEC. Even the PRC and Taiwan have a lot of economic engagement that has come about over the years. The African Continental Free Trade Agreement. When we were together in Addis Ababa in February of 2020, Albert Muchanga, the Commissioner for Trade and Industry of the African Union, said the African Free Trade Agreement, Continental Free Trade Agreement, is for silencing the guns. So even today, trade for peace is uh, extraordinarily important as a practice. It's not just an idea. It is something that governments are doing in order to uh, try to bring about more stable conditions to promote peace. Do you find that trade for peace is more relevant to least developed, fragile-affected countries than the developed countries? I think it's the place where it's most relevant. With uh, major developed countries, autocracies, uh, democracies, they have a lot of things going on that can lead to a conflict. And trade's not going to prevent uh, conflict. It may help, but it, it's not going to be um, a cure-all. But South Sudan, Sudan, Somalia, Timor-Leste, Comoros, Sao Tome and Principe, in the G7 plus accessions group, working with countries such as your own Liberia, but also Afghanistan and Yemen, they're onto something that's very important, which is if you can raise the standard of living, if you can bring about greater stability for the peoples in those countries, they have a chance for peace. And I remember we were together at a regional meeting and the ambassadors of Sudan and South Sudan sitting next to each other, which wouldn't have happened years earlier. Right. (laughs) Without them tearing each other apart. Yeah. Uh, yeah. They agreed on one thing. Where there's trade, there's peace. So uh, they understand it. They care about it. And I think it'll make a major difference. It's not a cure-all. In Somalia, there are major problems still. In Ethiopia, where we were before the COVID lockdown, the last last, uh, great trip uh, we had for the WTO (laughs) was in Addis Ababa in, as I say, in February of 2020. And we wondered why those people were wearing masks. And in Switzerland, we weren't wearing wearing masks. (laughs) They came together and they understood we can make a difference. There's still hope, 
even in Ethiopia today, there's still hope that economic advancement can stabilize the country and eventually lead back to peace. Absolutely. I was just in uh, South Sudan at a meeting with civil servants talking about WTO accession and quite inspired by their commitment to really move the country forward to transform the country. And I think it made me think about, you know, whether there is something more the WTO can do to help countries to move forward in the accession process beyond the current support that is extended, whether it's aligning other partners to help support the country. As the WTO looks at reforms and there's dialogue among members about WTO reforms, do you think there are more opportunities for the WTO to reform in a way that is providing some practical support that can help really build some trade champions in countries like South Sudan that can help move the trade agenda forward for peace? I think absolutely it can do so. It needs more resources. One thing that's shocking in looking at the various international economic organizations, the WTO has about 650 staff. It goes on missions, but it has no offices outside of Geneva. The OECD has 3,500 on staff, much larger budget. Of course, the bank funds are enormous. One answer is working together. The Geneva Peace Platform is one uh, opportunity to bring together the peace community and the uh, trade community, bring together the bank, the fund, uh, those who have resources in these countries that are conflict-affected, and help them reform, bring about economic institutions that can provide a, a more stable environment, give, give, really give peace a chance. I know you've been heavily involved in the private sector, where private sector investors and there are examples of that in, uh, you'll tell me whether it's Sudan or South Sudan, but Nespresso, working to make sure that the coffee fields are brought back after warfare, yeah. uh, they've been abandoned. It's an effort that has to be expanded by yeah. bringing together all the forces of economic change in a positive direction. And I think that's something that does require more effort. We have a beginning, but it's not the end of that process. Absolutely. And I think this is one of the reasons why this initiative is so important, because, again, a country like South Sudan, I visited a country and I found vibrant private sector. Uh, there are a lot of South Sudanese that are investing in hospitality and in, in, in different areas. That's sort of the story you really get an opportunity to hear, to read about. And I think this platform provides the opportunity. We hope to have two entrepreneurs from South Sudan uh, on this podcast soon. And this is one of the things we struggled with, I remember, in Liberia, is sort of rebranding the country away from war and showcasing the positive examples of entrepreneurs that are surviving in an environment where the system has been broken, the bureaucracies have been devastated, the capacity is minimal, but yet you have these champions that are moving forward. They're creating opportunities for young people. So young people are seeking employment opportunities rather than going to the bush to fight. And I think those examples are critical. And this is what makes Trade for Peace as a program that takes the WTO to the people very, very, very important. I think probably most people don't understand, I didn't before I was involved in the accessions process, is that accessions is largely about domestic reform. It's about getting outside help to do what is necessary to bring a country up through building its own institutions, through improving its laws, improving its, its economic system, 
so that uh, it has an opportunity to be integrated into the world economy. And you need resources for that. Yeah. Uh, so cooperating other institutions, cooperating with the private sector, there's, there's an enormous amount that can still be done that would be very productive. Yeah, absolutely. And so rapid fire, we ask you five questions so our audience get to know you. I have 10 seconds to respond. Are you ready? <laughs> Go ahead. Okay. First question, number one, DC or Geneva, your favorite city? <laughs> I'd split my time. <laughs> a book uh, you would recommend? I'm reading a book by Naim Moises, The Revenge of Power. It's how autocrats seize power. And it's instructive, unfortunately, in the United States as well as elsewhere. <laughs> really? <laughs> so I'd recommend that. Uh, but uh, on a lighter note, Martin Walker's detective series about Bruno in the south of France is a very enjoyable series. Awesome. And the uh, burger or pizza? Ah, well, what I would say is Five Guys is very good in both Geneva and in the town <laughs> Union in Maryland. Very consistent. <laughs> but also the Chalet Regain in mm. Les Rousses has a very good hamburger. And pizza, the cabin in Maine can't be beat, but the tunnel in Cormayeur is very good. It's only an hour's drive. <laughs> I recommend it highly. Awesome. Thank you so much, Alan. And your favorite vacation destination? For a city, Paris or Bologna. For countryside, the Dordogne region, Perigord in France near Salah, or the Outer Banks in North Carolina. They're a little different, but I recommend. There's less foie gras in North Carolina, but sure. it, still a nice place. Good place for golfing, fishing, or uh, for South Carolina, uh, North Carolina? North Carolina, well, miles and miles of beaches for yeah. walking. I like to go when there are no people there, so it's not perfect for jumping into the ocean, but it means it's <laughs> cold, but it's very pretty countryside. Thank you. And one thing you would like to see happen in 2022? Peace. Peace in Europe, the end of the war in Ukraine, peace in Africa where there's still some problem areas and tranquility at home in the United States. So peace at home, peace abroad. Excellent. Alan, as always, it's a pleasure to have you. Thank you for this uh, rich uh, historical discussion on trade for peace. Now, we did not have this other segment also. This is also by popular demand. And so I would like us to conclude the episode in just one word. What does trade for peace mean to you and why? It's hope. Hope for the future of a lot of troubled lands. So it's, it's imperative. We've had this, we're talking about history. We've had 70 years of striving to achieve this objective. The philosophers looked at years ago. That's more than one word, but we can get there working together. You heard it here. Hope. That was uh, Ambassador Alan Wolf, uh, former Deputy Director General of the World Trade Organization. Alan, thank you for joining us today on Trade for Peace and sharing with us your wealth of knowledge and experience across the many different hats you've worn. It is always an honor to have you on. Thank you, Alan. My great pleasure. Take care. Peace be with you. Thank you, Alan. And to our listeners, thank you for tuning in to this episode, What History Teaches Us with Alan Wolf. Don't forget to follow us on our social media channels. We are present on Twitter, Facebook, and LinkedIn as Trade for Peace. I am your host, Axel Addy. 
You have been listening to Trade for Peace, brought to you by the WTO's Trade for Peace program. You can be a part of the conversation by sharing your stories and your suggestions with us at tradeforpeace at wto.org. And you can also follow us on Twitter and LinkedIn at Trade for Peace. Be sure to tune in every other week for new episodes. Thank you for listening to Trade for Peace.